Dirty Dog Darcy. 385 pounds. Dirty Dog Darcy. 5 foot 10 inches tall. Dirty Dog Darcy. Arms and legs thick as tree trunks. From the wilds of St. Cloud, Minnesota. Dog Darcy. From the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Pastry, Minnesota. Moved all over. Name, event, status, radio, with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills, Kino 210, and the Dirty Dog Darcy. Going back to 1983, you're listening to Main Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy, and from the deepest, darkest parts of Africa, I got Beverly Hills with me this week. How's it going, Beverly? Oh, it's going tremendous. Loving the trip back to 1983. How about you? I like it. I'm happy I was able to find you in the deepest, dark, darkest <laughs> parts of Africa with very little technology. Well, you know, I'm easy to find. All you have to do is just drop down in the deepest, darkest Africa airport, and I'm right next to the landing strip. Maybe, just maybe, I need to do. Just, <laughs> just to get you in. The African drums. And then I just, like, I just come out of the jungle, and I go, oh, hey, dirty dog, it's me. <laughs> oh, I never really... Yep, that's basically what it is. So we well, dirty, dirt, it's the deepest, darkest Africa, or it's just like Jerry Jarrett's backyard. Yes, I, I was paying attention to that, and I was thinking, like, you know, those trees look kind of like uh, from America. Yeah, it, it's definitely in Memphis. <laughs> Whatever. But we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Okay, so yeah, we went back to um, February, not February, Friday, March 18th, 1983, down to Dallas, to the Sportatorium. Yeah. I want to say before we started, what was your knowledge, interest, anything with world-class championship wrestling? I know very, very little about WCCW, world-class championship wrestling. A little bit I know is pretty much, you know, I think ran by the Von Erichs and the Von Erichs and the Freebirds and the whole Christmas angle with Ric Flair and... I think it's what Kevin Von Erich, Kerry Von Erich, one of the two, where uh, the Freebird uh, slammed the cage door on the Von Erich's head and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep, that'd be Kerry. Yeah, Kerry. Yeah. yeah, then pretty sure the WWE rewrote the WCCW history. So that's yeah. pr- pretty much what I know about it. I know, I think you own the, I think the, the WWE documentary of WCCW, and we watched a few matches back when we were both in college and. Oh, when, cool. When the de- network first got launched back in February of this year, uh, one of my coworkers, Sexy Pad, and I, uh, yeah, he took took the, my birthday off because, yeah, through through work, that we they give us our birthdays off with paid. So, yeah, Sexy Pat took the night off and came over and we watched a few WCCW shows before. Cause he, oh, nice. Because he used to watch WCCW when it, when it aired because he was able to get it actually up on TV up here in St. Cloud. Oh, really? Yeah, which is... You know, I think I had heard of this, and I thought I... I think I may have heard this, like, um, through the documentary, maybe not. WCCW actually had a TV deal with one of the Christian networks. 
So, like, you might get it, like, up here to, like, Channel 58 or something like that, but, like, the Trinity Broadcasting Network or something. Oh, yeah. So it's, us- it's usually, like, just preaching and stuff and things of that nature, but so- then once a week it would be wrestling for an hour. So that'd be, I don't know, that's kind of an interesting so that's deal. Pr- that's probably how he-, he got it then. I would assume so. Yeah, I would assume so. So, yeah, I know very, very little about WCCW. I know we- you and I watch, I think few i think we tried to watch a few early wrestlemanias a couple years ago and how from i think from well a couple years after this the show that we watched and how it was kind of hard for us to get to get through because it seemed a lot of really dry yeah yeah i feel like i feel like wccw for me was kind of dry but i think it's just because i'm not used to the like the early mid 80s style of pro wrestling yeah, we we are children of the Attitude Era, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It just is what it is, and that's what we've been conditioned to like and expect. So it can, you know, the the WCCW system, I just think, is a lot different from what we know. But um, I think if we watch, like, a lot, we could get into it, too. So. Oh, yeah, definitely, because I know... Well, you know, obviously, you know, we are children of first WWF, New York, Auto New York. You know, obviously, the first six episodes of the regular cast we covered Monday Night Raw from '93 to '95. So we're obviously children of, like, sort of attitude era of McMahon style wrestling and all that. Right. Uh huh. Exactly. So it was interesting to go back to the early '80s and watch something over the territories. Mm-hmm, definitely. Especially, you know, I heard of Jose Lothario through Shawn Michaels from 1996, so it was interesting to kind of see him in a match and all that. And yeah, I know yeah. Jamie Garvin of the Freebirds from WCW in the early 90s, so it was interesting to see him break, you know, away from, you know, away from the Freebirds. Yeah, away from, <laughs> on his own, from away from WCW and away from the Freebirds back then. And it was interesting to see a skinnier, in a way, sort of King Kong Monday. Yeah, a little bit, uh-huh. And it was interesting to see another match of the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds. Mm-hmm. So was, yeah, that was a good one too. So I was, inter- you know, I was ex- excited to break away from the WWF for an ep- at least one episode and do something different than that. That's kind of out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, that's yeah, and I I think we should do that. You know, every once in a while. Definitely, definitely, because it's yeah, which you know, yeah, because I know. Uh, Dean Stahl, who was on the first special cast, I know he did ask us to cover stuff from, you know, before the, nine, you know, 90s, so, so we're trying it out, you know, jumping in the deep end, so to say. You got it. So I do hope the WWE Network does put up more territory stuff where we can cover other stuff than what, what we're used to. Sure. I agree. So, yeah, we... Uh, cover uh, episode 65 from WCCW off the network. Yeah, like I said, it's from Friday, March 18th, 1983, where the the main event put, yeah, the Fabulous Freebirds against Kevin and Kerry Von Erich in a Texas Tornado match. Mm Mm-hmm, yep. Take two, yeah, right on. So, yeah, the show opened up with steel frames, you know, steel frames and some action from their weekly shows, I assume. Um, yeah, I'd assume so. Yeah, then we were welcomed by Bill Mercer from the Dallas Sportatorium. Yeah, in a green, completely green room. Tiny. It had a green ceiling, green background. Obviously, I mean, obviously we can tell it was from the 80s. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. And yeah, David Von Erich came and sat down with him and mentioned that the Freebirds will lose to his brothers in the main event. Yeah, because he was going to be there and he was going to neutralize Buddy Roberts because he doesn't like how he's always interfering. And he said that he wants the fan support for him to be able to challenge Jimmy Garvin for the Texas title. Yes, exactly. The Texas title is going where it belongs, on my mantle. So do you know anything about the Texas Heavyweight Championship? Uh, not not a lot. I believe it's their secondary singles title, the top being um, the North American okay. uh, title. And they were part of an N- the NWA, so they recognized at this time Ric Flair as the champion. Which, yeah, well, I know that he was mentioned later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, so... They at least they broke away kind of in the later later stages of the eighties, but at this point they're still a member of the NWA. So he's their heavyweight tight champion. Then they have a North American champion. I think they said maybe it was Kerry, but I'm not exactly sure. Then they have the Texas title, which is Garvin, and then they they don't have like a tag team title, but they do have the six man which title. Makes, which is, I thought I heard like six man title is pretty much. For a way for the Freebirds and the Von Erichs to continue to feud with each other, right? Right, pretty much. Uh huh. Yep. So, yeah. did you notice I during this promo? It was good, but David was doing something weird with like his teeth. He kept going like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of noticed and, noticed that, yeah. And he was also kind of like now looking at the camera. He's like, where? So I I don't know what was going on with David, but. It, if, if you would just listen to it as an audio pro, it sounded really good. Well, just like our podcast. <laughs> but yeah, he would kind of do something goofy with his teeth and look away <laughs> away from the camera, like yeah. like yeah, he didn't want to look in look in the camera for the fans can yeah. so, look so, into his soul. Yeah, I don't know, it's a little strange. Okay, so then they flash the card for tonight. If, do you want to run that down quick? Yeah, so say the Lothario versus Jimmy Garvin. I'll probably butcher this guy next guy's name, but Toha Yatsu. Tola Yatsu, yeah. Okay, Tola Hatsu versus King Kong Bundy. And in the main event in the Texas Tornado match, Kevin and Kerry Von Erich versus Michael Hayes and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Yep, free birds. Yep. Then we, yeah, then we come back to the commercial break and we get Jose Lothario versus Jimmy Garvin with Sunshine. And Jimmy <laughs> Garvin's a Texas heavyweight champion. Uh-huh. And the, the ring announcer, Mark Lorenz, sounded like he had the flu. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, he just kind of was like, whoa. Jose Lothario. <laughs> so I do want to say that I feel like for 1983, Sunshine seemed to be pretty cute. You know what? Wrote I, one of my later notes. I wrote Sunshine sure is a cutie. <laughs> so I guess if we were around in the in 83 at age that we are now, I'm sure <laughs> one of us could would have been able to get Sunshine. Mm. Sure. Oh. She'll be the sunshine. Oh my gosh. She'll Dirty be the dog. She'll be the well. Fine. She'll be my sunshine. Oh, since, oh. since we would, do a spit take. Since we would bring uh, Mrs. Beverly Hills with us in 1983. Another run in. Mess around here. So yeah, fine. You we will bring Mrs. Beverly Hills with us back to '83, <laughs> and we will win sunshine from here. All right, there sunshine you go. Sunshine will be my sunshine on a cloudy day. <laughs> I like it. The, the I wanted to go over the uh, the pre ring attire for both of these guys. I didn't write down. I love Jimmy's ring jacket. 
Oh my gosh. I'm tempted to get it because it's a gold sequence jacket. Yeah, I want you to get his whole attire, the complete gold sequence jacket, jacket, the white gloves, and the white bow tie. uh, (laughs) Talk about his attire. I do want to get your thoughts on his ring attire, which is white white trunks, white knee pads, and white boots. What is your thoughts on a heel wearing all white? Um, you know, I think generally I wouldn't say it works because, you know, you'd play the whole light dark thing. But in this case, I think it kind of works because I think Jimmy in this case and especially where he is, you know, being in Texas, I don't know. I don't know if people from Texas would correct me, but like, I kind of think he's playing kind of like a dandy type deal and him wearing white you know, keeping it really clean almost makes him like a heel, like someone who, um, you know, takes the time to keep his stuff bright white, you know, contrast that with like hardworking blue collar cowboy types who, you know, don't care if they get a little dirty. Maybe that's kind of what he's doing. I don't know. Makes sense. And yeah, because like you said that when I saw a heel in all white, most people think, you know, the heels the bad guys are in black and the faces mm-hmm. the good guys are in white so i kind of wanted so maybe think about that and maybe think of i think it was rusting yeah rusting a 20 where the main event was triple h defending the world heavyweight title against chris benoit and Shawn michaels and triple h had black black tights but white boots oh yeah i remember that and how i remember i think during that time a lot of people were freaking out about you know triple h the bad guy the villain had white boots oh really at least I think at least a few of my friends back then were kind of complaining about that. Oh, interesting. Back in 2004. Interesting. But I did like Triple H's contrast back then. I did like back in, oh, in 83, you know, 21 years before that, before us being a 20, I did like uh, Jimmy Garvin's, you know, white attire. Yeah, right, right. I wrote, he, yeah, he, and I also wrote, he's wearing a bow tie, and I'm happy about that. Yes, then I did, <laughs> and I did think, I did find it weird that that, that the Texas heavyweight champion started out the TV show in the first match. Well, you know, it's that's the the thing. So you you said you weren't super familiar with um with kind of their setup or with WCCW in general. So their TV isn't like um, setting up their big shows. Like this is just it. It's just taped right from the show. So. Um, you know, every, so, so it's like kind of like a house show in Wales? Basically, yeah. Like, this is what you would come and see, and then they'd tape it and they put it on TV. Okay. Like, it isn't where, like, Raw builds up the pay-per-view. They would have bigger shows than this, too, like the Star Wars shows. Like, I think they would do, like, the Christmas one, the... Um, the Thanksgiving one, and then a, one or two in the summer, but the... You know, this this was their big weekly show, and you would you would watch it. It's pretty much basically just live to tape. Like this is what you would see on their big show. So. Okay, so it's pro. Well, I guess it's also territories though too. So I also yep. not, you know, yeah. wrestling today is a lot different than what it was back in, you know, when during this time, like what thirty years, yeah, thirty one years ago. Uh huh. And it was different in each place. Like in Georgia, they would have the 
like the TBS show, and that would be that just like in the studio, and that would build up the bigger shows. So you wouldn't get a lot; you would just get like basically squash matches and um, promos and stuff. Whereas this one, you're gonna see the champion, and you're gonna see stuff like that, and you know that would make sense why he's you know in the first match because it's the match of the show too. Especially with the episode that we talked about last week with you know from Ron from '93 with Hulk Hogan being the WWF champion and. Comparing it to nowadays in 2014 with Brock Lesnar being the WWE champion with not seeing the champion on TV. I guess I liked, you know, d- during the territory d- territory days where, you know, the, you know, especially if it was live to tape, you know, if you go out to see, you know, see the WCCW shows, you're going to see the champion. And, you know, it was nice to see the champion on TV. Usually, right. Yeah, for, yeah, you, for you know who the champion Sorry. Oh, yeah, for you can see, the, see who the champion is and you can see what his wrestling style is and how, yeah, and see his wrestling ability. Yeah, and that would be a lot different from other places where you wouldn't see the champion, you know, a lot on TV. This is one of the few places that you actually would. So, yeah, we might as well get into the match. Go for it. One of the first notes I have was Garvin was complaining a lot that his hair is being pulled. Yeah, I thought his hair, I wrote just, look at that hair. It all moves in one motion. It's just like a helmet. And it, like it's hit and it just like shifts around. It doesn't even like move like hair does. It's kind of reminds me of like Jimmy Hart's hair. Okay, sure, sure. No, I see that motion. That yeah, it stays stays perfect no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And then the next. Well, go ahead. I wrote down a few of kind of these weird um, one-liners from Bill Mercer. The first one I wrote was. He knows all the constitutional rights of him and his enemy. And I just wrote, what? What does that mean? Yeah, that, I feel like that's like a macho man line. <laughs> yeah. And then he said that Garvin wants to keep his fans from hooting him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you wrote down some Mercer lines because I didn't. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So I did also yeah. write down that Garvin was buying a lot of time from running away from Lotharyo and strutting around the outside, angering the crowd. Oh, gosh, yes. And I thought that, you know, that goes to his character of just kind of being better than everything else and being better than the people as he's, you know, avoiding the fight. He keeps running away, even from old Jose Lotharyo. Yeah, I did write down that this match was seemed to be a pretty slow match. But I do have to say that it being slow and Garvin running outside a lot, they did have my interest for the whole match. Yeah, right. No, me too. So that's one thing I, I appreciated. Well, I guess I got to give Lothario credit for that too because it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, I feel like that speaks more about Garvin back in 83. Yeah, I would agree. Then I, another note I wrote down is that the, low, the ropes seemed pretty loose whenever Garvin was being tossed around and all that by Lothario. Okay. Well, it's looser than what I guess I'm used to seeing in the WWE. Sure, yeah, right, uh-huh. Then I, then I did have a nice paragraph about uh, Jimmy Garvin had a side headlock on. Yes. And, and the crowd just seemed to be sitting on their hands during that spot. Then the head, side headlock was countered by a shinbreaker. Oh, yeah. Sending Garvin outside of the ring, and Sunshine came over to check his hair and rubbed his knee and such. <laughs> yeah. Buying time to anger the crowd even more. Then once he went yep. back into the ring, Jose got a side headlock on him on a Garvin, you know, to switch roles. Then Garvin got out of it and went outside the ring again to buy more time. With Sunshine coming over again to check on him, 
<laughs> right, right. I got a couple notes to go with that. So, um, let's see, where was it? Oh, when Jimmy has Jose in the headlock, he he goes, que pasa, que pasa. Well, I noticed pasa. that too, yeah. And I thought that was funny. Because I think um, Bill Mercer even mentioned something on commentary about that. Yeah, uh-huh, yep, yep. And uh, so Bill Mercer talks about that Jimmy wants to do the bombs away. <laughs> yeah. That's actually like the brain buster he said. I don't know if it's like the brain buster that we know, but probably. And he said that it was illegal because it's sometimes lethal. <laughs> you know, kind of think of it. What is your thoughts on Bill Mercer doing a play-by-play by himself? You know, it's, it's, I think whatever you like, I mean, he, whenever you have a person doing it by themselves, they can sometimes fall into the trap of just like talking too much. And I think sometimes he falls into that trap too. Um, and it's just kind of weird stuff, like talking about, you know, the sometimes lethal brain buster and stuff like that. But for the most part, he's all right. He does call, he does call Jose Luthe one time. So I do feel like <laughs> this episode, he wasn't that bad. Yeah, he wasn't too Cause, bad. Because well, then again, I was zoning him out most of the, most of the card, you know, but... <laughs> But uh, he didn't get on my nerves, kind of like what Joey Styles would do in the '90s when for ECW, because oh, okay. okay. I guess just Joey Styles is the pitch of his voice oh, gets sure. under gets underneath my skin, especially when he starts screaming. Fair enough, yeah. So, and I roll. I wonder right when um, Jimmy gets knocked out to of the outside after the shin breaker, he rubs his knee, and when Sunshine go, comes over, he goes, oh, oh, how's my hair? <laughs> love it. I just love that his hair is the most important thing. Yeah, then uh, we get back to the ring, and action happens again, then we get a, go Jose! Go Jose! And it was huge! Oh my gosh, so that was like the Bigger than any chant you'll hear like nowadays in WWE is amazing. They loved Jose Lothario. Yeah, he's almost fifty years old. And Jimmy yelled back at back at him, telling him to shut up, which, which made me laugh. <laughs> Yo, let's see. Starting to go to the finish. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Let's see. This is one thing I appreciate about the '80s wrestling is that the if the wrestlers have finishers, they very rarely use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually a rare, you know, they use it for big matches. And how Garvin sweeps the feet, grabs the second rope, and steals a victory. Yep. Yeah, right. I, and I, I like, I do like that. I like that the heels cheat to win. They shouldn't always have to cheat to win, but I like that he shows that. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he needed to cheat to beat 50-year-old Jose Otherio, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um... And I really liked that after the match, like, Jimmy tries to do a beatdown on Jose, but he can't even. Like, Jose fights him off, and uh, Sunshine has to step in front of Jose to make him stop. I like that. Because uh, well, he really, you know, Jimmy really comes out as, you know, a chicken, you know Chicken what. crap. Yeah, well, that also gives, shows off that Jose Lothario is a gentleman and stops Stops fighting when a woman gets in the way. Right, exactly. Yep. So yep. I, re- I rated this match one half of a star. Okay, I wrote. What did I rate it? I didn't write it down. Uh, two stars. Okay, because I know for me it's not, like I was kind of mentioned before, it's not really my kind of match. 
seemed kind of slow and crowd seemed uninterested at times of the match. So if the crowd would have been more into it, I would have rated this match a little higher than what I did. But yeah. whatever. Then uh, right. we you know, right, but we get a bumper for the next commercial saying the information from the Devastation Incorporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Devastation I, I have no clue who Devastation Corporation is besides King Kong Bundy. Do you want to talk about this pre-tape interview and do you want to talk about who the Devastation Corporation is? I will do it. Okay. So Devastation Incorporated or Devastation Inc. is led by Skandar Akbar, who was the main talker that you saw, the one in the turban type deal. And... um it was really a rotating kind of cast of characters. Uh, you saw at this time it was Bundy, uh, Great Kabuki. They were going to be bringing Kamala. We'll talk about who else they would bring in. But it's it's one of those things similar to kind of like the Heenan family where it was Bobby Heenan and then whoever they were going to challenge Hogan with, you know, that kind of thing, um, where it's more about the manager than the wrestlers themselves. And the whole the whole gimmick, which we'll get into, is that he um, he had oil money and he could, you know, bring in anybody he wanted um, with that. And that's like a really smart thing at the time because at the time, you know, Texas is obviously a big oil state, right? And the the places where they run, you know, Texas up into maybe Oklahoma even. Oil is a, is a huge industry. And in the 70s and 80s, um, American oil really took a dive. Okay, so they um, kind of our reserves started to uh, be depleted a little bit. And we started relying more and more on foreign oil, which we still hear politicians talk about today. But um, so they bring in this guy, Skander Akbar, who says he's from somewhere he never really says where well, so, somewhere in the middle east it was implied yep yeah it's implied that he's from, from the middle east so he's a built-in heel because he's taking money from the fans basically right you know they're a lot of them are working in the oil industry he's saying he's from this other place taking their money basically so yeah that's his heel character there yeah because that explains it because i know i did write down the during the pre-tape interview they were talking about oil price oil prices dropping right yep then i did well, write- and he said that and he said it was funny because like even though foreign oil was they they kind of twisted it well even though the price of foreign oil actually went down he said that it, they were gonna raise the gas price for consumers i don't know how that would work but it's a, whatever he's the evil guy so he can say whatever he wants yeah <laughs> I, did, I did say that. Yeah, he told that to. He told one of his clients to get up and press play on the VCR. Mm-hmm. And how and we see how we Kumar, see some who is definitely Hispanic, not Arabic, by yeah. the way. I you did, can. <laughs> yeah, I did want to talk about the the stills of the oil fields and right. the technology of the VCR. Yeah, and he totally said VTR, but because <laughs> I've. I see this also the times or the technology of the day, the times of the day. How I think a lot of people, well, you would probably be able to say this more than I can, since you'd, you know you're a teacher. You know you deal with uh, the youth of the youth of this nation. How I don't think a lot of people, even my niece, who's I think 
like 12-ish, I think. Yeah, about 12 now, and she doesn't really know what a VCR is. Mm, well, she, sure, she yeah. barely knows what a VCR is, I think, only because I have a VCR, and my mom, her grandma, has a VCR. So I don't know. So I think it wasn't for us older people. Have I guess I'm not old, but like somebody like my mother, who yeah. has a VCR, I don't think she would know what a VCR is. And I think you'd probably be able to say more about that, too, about oh, no, your, stu- that. your students on not knowing what a, a lot of the technology that we grew up on is because how that's pretty much depleted. Mm, yeah, for sure. And yeah, even the, the technology that they were using, yeah, like he puts in the video, but it's really just like a slideshow. It's just the, yeah. the pictures of the oil fields. And, um, well, and it's, a lot of just, <laughs> it's a lot of just that. And yeah, he's talking about that. He can, the reason he can't handle defeats from his wrestlers is because he like ships off the tapes of WCCW to his homeland and they uh they wouldn't like watching his people lose and they wouldn't give him money for his oil negotiations which i kind of liked that too like it gives him stakes just as much as it gives stakes to the other wrestlers well yeah that i think like you said that adds more to Abbar being a heel and yeah cuz i did write down that he wants wrestlers in a stable are nothing but the best and he mm-hmm. want, and he can his table cannot defend cannot stand for defeats, right? And I like that because it isn't just you know it gives a reason why. Number one, as a territory, he'd be bringing in people and getting rid of them on a regular basis because you know he what if they lose whatever get the heck out, um, and it also makes sense then why, like the people he has don't always fit together, you know like. King Kong Bundy, Kabuki, and Kamala really don't have like a, a threat that. Yeah, they don't have anything in common exactly. But it makes sense when you think he doesn't really care. All he cares is that they're good and they're going to win matches. Yeah. So that was some good, I think, some good booking by the WCCW guys to make that. Um, make that a reasoning there. So. Yeah, because I know he did mention that, or he implied that. That there's a deal being made, if not in talks with Ric Flair, the world's champion. Right, yep. And, and that uh, he also did mention that the six-man belts will be under their control here soon. Yeah, because he can't, yeah. He said that he needs to bring in Ric Flair for the six-man title because Kamala can't be trusted to team with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense with his gimmick, though, too. Yeah, and I think that makes a, you know, that makes a ton of sense, like... Of course, Kamala wouldn't be able to team with anybody. He's way too crazy, right? Um, yeah, and I think that just that whole idea really puts over the belts a lot, the six-man titles, because if you're going to you know, bring in the world's champion just to win those six-man titles, well, that makes those six-man titles mean a heck of a lot. Yeah, and especially bringing in the world's champion, too, who exactly. is on TV that, you know, kind of like Hogan, you know, the world champion actually went around different territories and all that, and, it would mean, yeah, it means more to have, you know, a deal with the world champion. Right, exactly, yep. Yeah, then we... He closes just by saying that we deal with the wealth of the world, energy. <laughs> yeah, then we then we uh, go to another bumper before commercial with the, with the still shot saying, World Devastation Avenge Kabuki. Yeah. Yeah. Yatsu uh, is interviewed. Is interviewed ringside. And I didn't note. I didn't write down anything what Yatsu or his manager said. But only thing I wrote down was the referee was sending autographs behind him in the ring. 
and I feel, yeah. feel like I that noticed, was a that was a major distraction for me. I noticed that with um, oh, Jose Lothario. I think they're maybe like signing the contract or something. Because like, did you know Jose Lothario was signing something too when he started? Yeah, but like, he, yeah, like as yeah, like I said, that uh, I used to like with. You know, during this interview with Yatsu, the the referee was almost like the fans were up, you know, right up to the ring, and okay. giving giving the referee a pen and like something to sign, awesome. and get, awesome. the referee was getting autographs, and that made me smile because oh, yeah, I, I know a lot of. I think this is right on the time we lived together. I knew a lot of the WWE referees because they actually at that time they actually said who the referees were and you guys gave me a lot of crap for popping for like Jimmy Car- I guess Jimmy Carreras wasn't around at that time for like um Charles Robinson and Mike Yoda and all that. Right, yep. So it made me and happy. You would be the guy getting the Yeah, autograph. The autograph. Yeah, because I know yeah. Yeah, there's a promotion here in the like a territory promotion here in Minnesota called the American Wrestling Federation and one of my former coworkers is being trained with them and rough rough referee with them and I have to say, he is probably one of my favorite referees nowadays. <laughs> awesome. And I know that, uh, before, I think, oh, before he trained to be a wrestler, I know him and I went in Sexy Pet went to a few rest, AWF shows when they were within an hour or so from St. Cloud. And there was a, you know, one of the referees that they normally have in. I follow him on Twitter, and there's a few times I would yell at him, You're my hero! And all that. And he would yell back, Find a different hero! And all that. <laughs> So it, it kind of made me think of, you know, now think of it, it kind of made me think of 1983 WCCW. Nice. In, in a sense. Yeah. And I did write down what Armand Hussein said. So he's the babyface manager of Toliatsu. And it was really funny because he goes, we beat Fat Pig Bundy and we'll do it again. <laughs> well, I guess we'll get into it more too, but I feel like they were playing the healing ways in this match. Well, yeah, especially with the finish, which we'll get to here at the end. I would definitely agree with that. So, yeah, we have Toy Hatsu versus King Kong Bundy. And first thing I wrote down was Yatsu does a similar sumo dance to Yokozuma. Very, very similar. I also wrote that Yatsu is wearing some cute capris. Yes. (laughs) I didn't note, though, that Bundy put on a hammerlock. Okay. And it seemed like Bundy had this move on for minutes on end. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Come on. I, I thought it was boring. I thought Bundy, it was, yeah, so Yatsu started by th- trying to throw some kicks at Bundy. But Bundy avoided him, caught caught him, and then started to work on the arm. Um, yeah. And then he laid on, laid on Yatsu and put his arm in a scissor, and I just wrote, I would not want my arm there. <laughs> yeah, especially with how uh, revealing Bundy's... Attire was. Oh my gosh, I rode to Bundy's singlet seems to be falling down. I'm not pleased. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. I didn't write a note about it, but I did notice that too. It kept like falling down to the front and his like, his straps kept getting lower and lower. I'm like, oh my god, what kind of show are we going to get well, from I also noticed too that, yeah, the tires, the the straps pretty much went down almost to his belly button. I know, and then when they started falling down, you can tell where it's going from there. <laughs> Business is about to pick up. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I know the next spot I pressed wrote down was that uh, yeah, Yatsu had the advantage and had Bundy yep, in the mat. He got, a side, he got a side kick and then started chopping him a yeah, little Yeah, chopping bit. him a lot. And Bundy got up and 
That didn't help him a lot. He got backed in the corner, got chopped, kicked, and punched a lot. Right, yep. Then this made me think about, uh, I noticed with each, with the introduction of each match that there was time limits. Okay, yeah. I wanted to get your, I know for me, I missed time limits. On, okay. Well, on, on, any, on any and every match, and I wanted to get your thoughts on time limits on matches. I mean, they can be used properly, and I really think, like, um, you know, sometimes they'll use it for draws and stuff, but they always telegraph it too far because they only announce a time limit for the one that they're going to go to the limit, you know what I mean, like in the last few years. But, like, here, they do a time limit for every match just to, you know, show show that not to telegraph that. So I wouldn't be against it. I think it's... Because then, you know, if they set a 15-minute time limit on, like, TV matches, they're never going to go to it. But what's the harm in announcing it, you know? Yeah, because I know I miss time limit matches, and, you know, like you said, you know, that I feel like that way would be more intrigue on the matches. Sure. But, you know, I, I feel like that, you know, that also give the wrestlers, I guess, in creative another finish. Yeah. They can go to a draw, they yeah, can do a Broadway and all that, and... Instead of doing a double disqualification or a double count out or whatever else, it gives them another finish. Yes, uh huh. Yep, I completely agree. So, I guess if you want, you can talk about the finish of the match. Okay, well, I did. So, Bundy hit a huge back body drop on Yatsu and then he avalanched in the corner. And Mercer said that was like a Mack truck running into a compact. And I just, you know, do you think it may have been. A racist comment from just a little <laughs> bit, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Compact cars are. Used I don't to- know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but then when um, Bundy was working on Yatsu in the corner, uh, Armand Hussein throws in a stick, throws in the kendo stick, and first Yatsu misses it and it falls down to the outside. So then Hussein throws it back in, and Yatsu starts hitting. Uh, Bundy with it, and then they get disqualified. Yeah, because I was confused about that, because I thought Bundy was supposed to play the heel, but the face got himself disqualified. Yeah, you know, I think that's maybe the dynamic in this territory. And again, I'm not super familiar with it, but, you know, I know they had baby faces like uh, Bruiser Brody, who, you know, wouldn't be above of this kind of behavior. Um, Other guys like that where, you know, maybe this is kind of acceptable for the the babyface to act like that because just you aren't supposed to take any crap from anybody, I think, a little bit. Makes sense. So, yeah, the winner is King Kong Bundy, and I ready this match. Another one-half star. I will do this one. I thought this had some good going. Not as good as the first one. Probably star and a half. Okay, yeah, because I feel like this was another slow-paced match, that another match that really didn't do much for me. Sure. And it would have been a... I would have rated this match less if it would have went longer. Yeah, at least it got in and out quick. Yeah, and I feel like this Yeah, this match told a story, so I couldn't rate this match any less than what I did. Sure. And I know that I wrote down that, that Yatsu continued his beating on Bundy after the match <laughs> until Bundy got to his feet. Then the ref got in, the, in, in between the two of them. Then it seemed like the fans seemed happy that Bundy won. And that's when he was announced as the winner. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I I was confused about that. Okay. Then then uh for 
we were about to go to a commercial, and uh, for the still shot we saw coming up. Come on. Yes, and I, man, when we came back, I love this Kamala video so much. They used it every like territory that Kamala would come into across the U.S., and it's just him looking crazy in, like I said, Jerry Jarrett's backyard, and he's got the paint, he's got a big ring in his nose, he's looking just all freaky, and the announcer goes, like I said, like I did in the uh, intro, Kamala, 385 pounds. Well, actually, a few weeks ago, I did mention that, you know, Kamala was on the Steve Austin show with Stone okay. Cold. And okay. I, I know they, they were actually talking about that, you know, how oh, each territory that Kamala was about to go into, they would send that uh, pre-taped to the territory in era. Right. And all that, and how he was taped in the Jerry Dirt's back, Gary Memphis, and all that. And want to get your thoughts on Kamala's earrings that he was wearing, not in his ears, but uh, <laughs> around his ears. Oh, okay. I guess I didn't really notice him too much. It kind of reminds me of my headphones I'm wearing right now, like the earmuff headphones, but you know, like <laughs> it went around the ears. Sure, sure. I guess I didn't really notice it too much. I just noticed the big nose ring. I know, and I noticed that uh, how it's like Kamala had. Mo- had more weight, <laughs> had more weight back then with around in his face. Okay, I thought he looked s- slimmer. Well, it's to me, his his face seemed more round than what I'm used to seeing. Yeah, sure, sure. Then he had the paint the uh, paint on his body and his face. Well, you can tell it wasn't as perfect or wasn't as professionally done like it would be in in like in the nineties. Well, he yeah, he had many years to work on it and perfect it, all that. And then yeah, after yeah, we come back from the commercial, we see the video. Then yeah, Bill Mercer talks about it and help build up Kamala for WCCW. Yes. Do you prefer Kimala or Kamala? I prefer Kamala. Oh, all right. Kimala. <laughs> Kimala. Or how would William, how would William Regal pronounce Kamala? Kimala. Oh, just because how it's like with William Regal was a raw general manager, how he said, ooh, manga, oh, or whatever. I understand, I understand. So yeah, that's why I... Kimala. Kimala. <laughs> Alright, so next is the main event. Then we go to another commercial with uh, the still frame scene, the feud continues next. Yeah. The long-running feud between the Three Birds and the Von Eric family. Yeah, the, like like mentioned, the opening of the podcast. It's a Texas Tornado match with Kevin mm-hmm. and Kerry Von Eric versus Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, which is pretty much, to my understanding, uh, all four guys are in the ring. For, you know, first fall, yeah, first fall victory, uh, one fall victory, and yep. there's also disqualifications in the match. Okay, yeah. So it's just like a regular match, but there's no tags. Yes. So, and, so I know I do like these kind of matches because I remember, I think, uh, was it last week, the week before we talked about, only two weeks ago we talked about like the top five wrestlers that scares us. Oh, yeah. And I know I mentioned, you know, Kane was my number one guy and just because of the WWF Warzone game on PlayStation 1, I think it was on the Nintendo 64 as well. And I, on, on that game for take team matches, they had the Texas Tornado match. Right. So I was excited to see this match actually happening in real life. <laughs> yeah. 
So I was happy about that. <laughs> right. And, on, one, right and yeah, this match was one false 60 minute time limit. Okay. And I want to get your thoughts on Kevin wrestling without any kind of footwear. <laughs> it's the it's his thing. I don't know. His sons do it too. Oh, do they? They were on the TNA, whatever the last the one that was in Texas a few months ago. Oh, the pay per view. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, they wrestled on it, and they wrestled shoeless, too. I don't know, it's just this thing. I I don't know if it'd be, like, the smartest thing just sanitation-wise, but whatever, if that's your deal. Well, especially with Matt's back then, a, yeah. Yeah, they get a huge ovation, though. Man, those fans are way into the Von Erich brothers. Because I can tell that my Ruku wasn't either into the Von Erichs, wasn't into the Freebirds, <laughs> Wasn't into this match or wasn't into WCCW because right when Michael Hayes stepped outside on the apron, right when the bell rang, my Roku decided to reboot itself and restart everything. Oh, man, your Roku was crazy because the fans were way into this match. Maybe my Roku was just couldn't handle the excitement that he had to restart itself. Um, okay, I, I believe that. I'm with that. Uh, uh, last, you know, like we, I, you know, I told you before we started recording that, I had sexy pad over last night, and he wanted to watch SummerSlam from this year because he didn't get a chance to watch it. Unless he decided, unless he was kind of overheating itself and had to restart itself. I don't know. Ah, uh, sure. Okay. Well, yeah, once the Roku rebooted itself up, I started, started it all over again. And like I mentioned, the March, the, the, March, the match starts when Michael Hayes <laughs> tries to get onto the apron, and that didn't last too long for him. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought this was. Yeah, that's that's how it starts. It's very fast paced from there. Yeah, because I know I, I had a tough time taking notes for this match because yeah, all four guys were in the ring. Right. I I kind of just stopped because I really liked everything that was going on. It was cer- certainly you know back and forth. Usually everybody going back and forth together. You know, all f- two kind of paired off groups, um, all going at once. Yeah. So I did notice. Noticed that and did note down that it seemed like when seemed like the when the when one freebird had the advantage, seemed like both freebirds had the advantage, and vice versa sure? with the Eric, von Erich. It's like when one von Erich had the advantage, usually the other one had the advantage at the same time. Yeah, uh huh. I did, agree with that. I did write down that Kevin of the von Erichs tried to go for the claw on Hayes, and okay. Hayes headbutt him in the crotch area, <laughs> which didn't go so well for the claw. Yeah, I did write down towards the end of the match that both Von Erichs had a double claw on the Freebirds, and the van, and the and the fans popped for it. Oh my gosh, they loved the claw so much. The claw was so over in Texas. And I noticed that the one of the Freebirds got countered by being thrown over the top rope. There's a lot of over the top throwing in this match. Everybody's getting thrown over the top rope. I was going to ask because it kind of sounded like, from my impression, from Bill Mercer that. During this time in WCCW, that being thrown over the top rope was a disqualification. Oh, really? I kind of—that's what it kind of seemed like. Okay. Because I know that was a rule in different territories, and I think into WCW in the early '90s. So I thought the, thought that was kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. Right. I know that one. Then yeah. Then uh, and towards the end of the match, how both the seconds, on the, on, or the managers on each team came into the ring and. It became a six-man brawl. Yep, yep. And then it became a d- double disqualification because the managers ran in and all that. Right, that's what led to the 
to the disqualification. You're exactly right. Yeah, and how the, yeah, the, how the referee punched, I think, throughout the match because the managers came in and he couldn't keep halfway control of the match. Right. Or I should say both the referees couldn't keep control of the match because there was two referees for the match. Yes, uh-huh. and there were two officials out there for most of the matches. Well, and I, now it be... Well, I guess I only noticed just the one in the ring. I didn't notice the, the one outside the ring in the earlier two matches. Right. Now might be my perfect chance to t- ask you, what's your opinion of the red attire by the on the WCCW referees? I like that at least they kept it consistent for all the referees. Sure, right. If somebody was just in red and then somebody else was in a different color, that might be too weird. Yeah, so I, I, I at least like that it was a different, you know, a same attire for all the referees and like a red polo shirt. So it was nice that the referees kept it consistent. It was a nice change from, uh, I guess, what a normal referee would is is uh, I guess a keen, I guess stereotyped into wearing the, the striped shirt. Because I yeah. did, because I did like I think when that during the invasion storyline when WCW and ECW invaded WWF in two thousand one, I did like how the WCW referees kind of had like a the gray polo shirt with the WCW logo on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. To, to say you know they're the WCW referee, then during the brand split uh, for a while, how the SmackDown, Smackdown referees kind of had like a blue polo shirt, right? Uh-huh. Compared to the Raw referees, had the traditional black and white striped shirt, right? Uh huh. So I do like how you know they had it as consistent on what the referees looked like. Exactly. So then, we, then yeah, the winners were the double disqualification rule. Yep. I did rate this match a little bit higher than the other two matches. Oh, gosh, here we go. What'd you get? I rated this match a five-sixth of a star. Oh, my God. Come on, man. Just be... It it was too... I enjoyed the brawl. I enjoyed how messy it was. But it was hard. It was too messy for me. All right, fair enough. It was too much going on for me to to take notes. Fair enough. I gave them three and one quarters. Fair enough. (laughs) Then we go to a commercial, and for the still frame before the commercial, it says, Kabuki Returns. <laughs> yeah. So then we come back. <laughs> this with, must have been put out by uh, Yatsu. Yeah, that's what it kind of seemed like. Yeah. Then how you come back with Bill Mercer is joined by Kikon Bundy and Kabuki. Mm-hmm. And, and Mercer asked Bundy about his victory via disqualification, and Bundy w- didn't want a disqualification. He wants an actual win. Yeah, and he wants to beat him. Yeah, he wants Bun- to beat Bundy, him up. It sucks for the next week or for the next taping. The house like Bundy said that Kabuki and Tatsu would have a kendo stick match. Yes. Then Mercer tells us that uh, uh we'll see you next week. <laughs> and I just said okay, Bill Mercer. <laughs> you got it. So, What's your thoughts overall on the show? I feel like it was a well kept show. Okay. I like I said I enjoyed the still frames to kind of advertise what was coming up next. I feel like okay. it's kind of prelude to the WWF Raw episodes that we watched from the early ninety three ninety four. That you know kind of let the fans know okay this is what to what to expect after the commercial break and all that. And I feel like that that helped me out too to kind of put names to guys who I'm not wasn't really so familiar with. Sure. And all that. So I I enjoyed that. I thought uh, there was a storyline that was fed through the through the show about you know Kabuki, the Kabuki and Devastation Corporation, right? Uh-huh. And, and, and I have heard of Devastation Corporation before, so it was inter- 
it was nice to kind of somewhat see them see them at work. Right. So yeah, then so yeah, that's my thoughts about the show. Cool. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I really thought that you know three matches is a good tight show. Um, you got kind of your opener that might have been a little too long, but I liked the three matches. I liked both of the um, promo segments. I thought did their job. Um, you're really setting up the Devastation Corporation thing, just like you said, or Devastation Incorporated. Sorry, Devastation Corporation. That's a Chikara stable, but anyways, and uh, I thought it was good. I really liked it a lot. Next, yeah, so. yeah, you know, you kind of mentioned the first match went too long. I don't mind one of the matches going long. Yeah, if the other two matches were, were kind of short to kind of help counter it. Sure. For each match won't be like twelve minutes long each and all that. Right. Right. So we might as well go into the jobber and the main event star. My jobber has to be Yatsu. Oh, okay. Just because the, I guess, well, learning now that the baby, he was a baby face, that Yatsu has to be my jobber because he had to cheat to get over the match. Okay. Which, Not- I, find to, which I find to be bull poop. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. My jobber is going to be Armand Hussein. For basically the same reason. He doesn't have enough confidence in his wrestler, so he throws in a kendo stick. <laughs> so my main event star has to be Jimmy Garvin. Oh, okay. Good choice. Good choice. So I thought he did a really nice job in that yeah, match. So, yeah, because I feel like, you know, with all his strutting outside the ring and milking out to anger the fans, he got that. Nice. And he, I feel like he showed me oh. in this in his match, opening of the opener of the card, that why he, why he was the Texas champion. Nice. And no, that's I, a good choice. And I and Jimmy proved to me why, Jimmy proved to me what it means to have the main event status crown. Nice. And he had great hair. That too. And he had sunshine. He, oh yeah, the yeah. aforementioned. Because I know before we yeah. podcasted, I, I know there was a small little thunderstorm that came through here in St. Cloud, and it thundered really loud, and it rained really heavy, and. No, what do I have? Sunshine. <laughs> Thank you, Sunshine. Oh my gosh, good man. All right, my main eventer. I, you know, I could have gone with Jimmy too. That that would be a good choice. I chose um, Michael P.S. Hayes. I thought he he looked really good in the uh, main event, carrying kind of the storyline weight of that. Uh, that match there, I thought he did a really good job. So that's that's my main event here. Think of it was Jimmy Garvin tied in with the Freebirds during this time. Um, kind of tangentially, but not really. He he was kind of like an associate. Okay, because I, I I had to ask because, like I mentioned, I know we watched WCW Capital Combat 1990. Yep. I want to say probably pushing five years ago now. And, yes. And Jimmy Garvin was part of the Freebirds, so I had to. <laughs> Yep. I had you know, I wanted to ask. He's formally introduced as a freebird in at a, one of the Clash of the Champions in 1989. Okay, that's when he officially becomes a freebird. But he, like I said, is kind of associated with them all through the years. He'll I, yeah, he'll help I, them out, like if they do eight man tags, or you know, he'll kind of just be near them or whatever. He's in the Bat Street USA video too as a uh, paramedic. Well, because I feel like Jimmy Garvin did, did play a part, or did play a, a, a freebird role pretty well in his match. 
Yeah, right. Because it was Terry Gordy, it was Michael Hayes, and who was the third? Buddy Roberts. Okay, Buddy Roberts. Yeah, cause I know his name was mentioned, and I know, I guess to me, he wasn't, he's not known as the, a freebird to me. I guess it was. Yeah, for you, uh, yeah. Jamie Garvin was, I feel like it was always to me the third, the third number. Sure, yep, yep. As kind of the younger generation, that would make sense, yeah. yeah. The older so, folks would say definitely Buddy. Yeah, okay. Then I know we, I liked the top five list that, that you came up with for the, for this episode. Oh, cool! This Thanks. Week. Yeah, I could. I was a little kind of taxed what to do for the top five list this week because I couldn't really, you know, wrap my head around it. But you know, being that both of us aren't super versed in in eighties wrestling, my top five that I came up with was um, top five eighties wrestlers that you'd like to see more of, that you'd like to kind of uh, see more footage of. So, because in ways you wouldn't be surprised with who's on who was on my list for at least most of the guys, but I do I did write down a log I you know, normally for the top five list I write it out on paper, but for this one I had to type it out for because I had longer explanations why I picked these guys. And I feel I feel like it'd be interesting to hear your top five along with my top five. Yeah, definitely. I think it's gonna be a good one. I'll I'll go first this okay. week. Okay. My number five and this is kind of a thread running through but where I saw a little bit toward the maybe the end of their career, but I'd like to see a lot more, maybe more in the heyday. And um, my number five, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. A lot of people would say the greatest, and uh, I'll go with the Midnight Express for my number five. I'd love to see more of their work um, in Mid-South. I'd love to see more of their work in um, Texas even, uh, Memphis too, wherever they were, because I know, you know, I saw – a little bit i have some 89 footage and that's you know maybe not their best because that's them actually as baby faces facing off against the original midnight express with paul dangerously so i like you know that was good and they had some great matches there in 89 and 90 but i'd really like to see kind of their heyday mid 80s work too so that's why that's my number five midnight express i like i like your choice of the midnight express thank you my number five we saw it on this very episode was the Fabulous okay. Freebirds. Oh, nice. Good choice. Just because, you know, like I said, you know, I know Jimmy Garvin as part of the Freebirds, not Buddy Rose. Sure. And I know I hear... Buddy Roberts. Yeah, Buddy Roberts, sorry. Yeah, Buddy Roberts. That's okay. That's and, okay. and I hear, you know, some interviews with Michael Hayes, and, you know, I listen to Steve Austin's show at work, and Steve Austin talks once in a while about the Freebirds and all that, because he grew up in the Dallas area and grew up on world-class championship television. And... I know that, yeah, because I love hearing stories from Hayes from the from of the different renditions of the Freebirds and how much havoc and hell that they rose in <laughs> each promotion and how they got kicked out because they re- raised a little bit too much hell and <laughs> havoc in each promotion and they got kicked out and they went to the next promotion. So I would like to see more of the Freebirds to see you know see more of their feud with Avon Eriks and see how you know how they interacted with different territories when they. Get, we were introduced and before they got kicked out of each territory. All right, very good choice. Um, okay, my number four is another one that I saw a little bit in 89, and, you know, sadly his life didn't, uh, you know, last much longer. Um, but I've heard a lot about him, heard a lot of him from uh, Georgia uh, mostly, but also some Mid-South stuff and, and that, and that would be uh, Hacksaw Buzz Sawyer. Um 
you know, just kind of portrayed one of like a crazy man gimmick. He was just all over the place, wild brawls, um, all that. And I just, you know, I've heard a lot of good things from a lot of fans on the internet that that I really respect that I, I, you know, like listening to. So that would be, um, one that I'd like to see a lot more of would be Buzz Sawyer. Because, uh, yeah, which, when you said a hacksaw, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say hacksaw Jim Dugan. I've seen plenty enough of hacksaw Jim Dugan. Fair enough. <laughs> so I guess the rest of my list probably wouldn't be a surprise. Okay. With, you know, I guess from somebody from our wrestling generation. Okay, and I know you know if you guys haven't noticed, you know we are on a video chat while we while we're recording this, and my number four has to be the guy representing my T-shirt that I'm wearing right oh, now, nice. Ma- Matchman Randy Savage. Oh, good choice. Because you know I feel like you know like late oh yeah he won the WWF title for the first time in '88 at WrestleMania four, so I feel like like late '80s early '90s is where his peak was in the WWF. And then yeah, he went to WCW in the you know late mid and late nineties and had you know, awesome matches there. Then had I guess was a run in TNA after that. I think mid two thousands, which he had like one match. If that was supposed to have another match, no showed it or whatever. But I like to see more matches of the Macho one, Macho one when he wasn't in the big companies. Cause I okay, know, cool. Yeah, because I know his dad. Owned, I think, an outlaw promotion, you know, an unrecognized promotion of the NWA. And right. I like to see Randy's work, you know, there. And I like to see how I like to see how Savage sharpened his wrestling skills before he got to the WWF. Because I know, like, one of the tapes I had back, well, this is when I was growing up, so this is probably 20 years ago, that, you know, I had, like, a set of five tapes that were, like, a half hour, maybe an hour long. And I wanted to, on one of the tapes, I think Macho Man was on, on the cover, and, and on one of the matches, it was him and Jerry Lawler in a cage match. Yeah. I think from Memphis. And okay, I, yep. And mm-hmm. that match seemed, well, Macho was always crazy and all that, but Macho seemed a different set of different set of crazy that I never saw in the WWF or WCW. Right. I would agree with you on so, that. So, yeah, that's why Macho was my number four, because I like to see more of macho before he made it big awesome okay my number three is uh terry funk and just because i love terry funk i thought i think his 89 matches with flair are some of the best that you know really ever exist and i would just like to see you know eight you know he wasn't doing a ton in the 80s that was kind of his quote-unquote i'm retired phase but um you know, I'd really like to see more from that era of him and um, more of his, his work there in the, kind of the territories work, working around the, the loop there. Yeah, I know Terry Funk is one guy I'd like to go back and re-listen to his promos because he yeah. was one hell of a talker. Definitely. Because I know for my number three, Beverly, I want to know, what you going to do? Oh, interesting. Okay. What you going to do? When the dirty dog, the dirty dog in mania rumbles all over you. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I was trying to clap the beat to his real American theme song, but that was horrible. It was Hulk Hogan. I was wondering what you were doing. <laughs> yes, I was trying to clap to the beat, but yeah, that didn't go over well. But yeah, my <laughs> but, number three has to be Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, okay. We all know that he made his 
pretty stardom known in the WWF in the mid eighties. Okay. I like to see his title matches, his tours, and how he embraced himself as WWF World Champion. Because I know we listened to uh, yeah, Russell Spector with Jason Mann, and he had Joel Drilling from What a Maneuver on a while back, talking a match with Hogan. I think can't remember who Hogan's partner was against LOD, the Legion of Doom over in Japan. I think couple yep. days after he won the WWF title from, I think, Sergeant Slaughter after WrestleMania 7. So I, so I just want to see, you know, different matches like that of Hogan's that, you know, aren't aren't well known. And, like, I want to see matches of his from the AWA and the WWF. And I just want to see, I like to see more of his stuff before his WWF champion dance and after. Because right. yeah, we all know him, uh, you know, as WWF champion, WWF superstar, w, that 80s version of John Cena, the WWF, <laughs> and he was the WCW's John Cena when WCW was around. So I wanted to I like to see Hulk Hogan before his John Cena days, before he became champion in January of 84. Cool. Good idea. like that. Okay, my number two is someone who... We've seen a ton of, and I've seen a ton of, and I don't know, you know, how you wouldn't, but, um, you know, he's great in the 90s, great in the 2000s even, but I really want to see all of his 80s stuff. Uh, he was mentioned in this episode, but it's uh, Ric Flair. Woo. And I, I, yeah, and I'd love to see him, especially his defenses when he was still a touring champion with the NWA title. Um, you know, I'd love to see him working through the loop doing that. Um, his early early promos and things like things of that nature. I'd I'd really like to see more of him. So that's my my choice there. For my number two, all I have to say is long distance information. Give me Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, okay. I don't know how well you're you know the song Memphis, Tennessee. That's well known. I think done done by uh, I think Jerry Lee Lewis did a rendition and. Okay. And all that. I know the version I have of that song was done by my number two, Jerry the King Lawler. Okay. You know, him being billed as King of Memphis, I want to see matches why he was billed that, you know, given that nickname. Right. You know, I feel like the WWE misused him when he came to the promotion in 93. It didn't okay. let him wrestle as much. It didn't let him wrestle as, you know, what he, how he wrestled as back in Memphis. Uh, I feel like, you know, I heard here through podcasts, the old school wrestling podcast that we mentioned before, and other stuff that I know. I hear that Lawler was a good brawler, and, I, and he was a good de- technician when he needed to be, like with the right. matches with Bret Hart. I like to see. I would just like to see how he interacted with the Memphis crowds back in the day, where yeah, he was given that, na- that name, the King of Memphis, and I would just like to see how, yeah, how he was back in the day, back in his heyday. Yeah, I. And you know what? I'll just get into that's my number one is uh, Jerry Lawler. I'd love love to see Memphis stuff. Love to see him work with um, all the different uh, folks coming through Memphis, and I'd love to see just how he kind of just dominated the that whole territory. So yeah, for many and many of those reasons that you already mentioned, my number one is also Jerry is Jerry Lawler. So I find it kind of ironic who my number one is. Who's that? Someone you usually don't like? <laughs> the limousine riding. Woo! Jet oh, fire. Woo! Kiss stealing. Woo! Wheeling dealing. Woo! World's heavyweight champion. 
<laughs> Your number two. My number one, the 60-minute man, the nature boy, Woo, Rick <laughs> Flair. Good choice. Can I get a woo ticket? <laughs> woo ticket. Yeah, my number one has to be Ric Flair, you know, kind of like what you said for forum for who, you know, for your number two. I want to see Ric Flair, you know, how, I want to see more of Ric Flair, you know, the traveling NWA, NWA world champion. I know, like, guys like Bret Hart and all that critique him, saying that all his matches are the same and that. I want, i always been entertained by Ric Flair in the 90s and, and after, and I always love the 80s promos of Ric Flair. I like to see him in his 80s prime, and yeah. I like to see how he fared against territorial stars. Sure, because yep. I know I know I heard that Ric Flair wrestled consecutive days, like pretty much almost a whole month. Only had like two or three or four days off a month, pretty much to travel to the next area he was supposed to, like to Puerto Rico or back to the states or wherever he was supposed to wrestle. I want to see how well he fared towards when towards the end of he was wrapping up like those 15 16 day tours that he had yeah because i want to i want to see why rick flair was built the 60 minute man in the ring <laughs> right right on that's a good choice so because I, I feel like we i enjoyed this wccw episode this top five discussion a lot better than i originally expected it to be when you mentioned last week and that you wanted to do this wccw episode Good. I'm glad that I'm glad that I was able to change your mind a little bit. Because I, wa- I wanted to try to keep an open mind on this and try to enjoy it as much as possible. Awesome. Good so to hear. I, I'm looking forward to do. You know, I guess we. Will, I'm sure we will cover ECW sometime from '93, '94, '95 from the network, and I'm sure we'll cover more WCCW, you know, shows in the future. But yeah, I'm just. You know, if, when we do, I'm gonna try to keep an open mind and, and try to stay positive and. And all that, like I tried to do for this episode. Great. So, yeah, do you have any closing comments or thoughts for, for this episode? Uh, I no, I don't think so. I think that it would well. I really liked the uh, the show. So, okay, do you have yeah. any? Do you have anything to plug this week? Oh, just my Twitter at Beverly Hills Mes is where you can find me. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well at Dirty Dog Mes. That's dog as in D A W G. Dirty Dog Mes on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash main event status radio. That's all one clumped together. Facebook.com slash main event status radio. You can find us on iTunes. Search us out at, you know, main event status radio. We're up there. You know, yeah, the podcast, you know, once I uploaded the episode on the website, it gets uploaded to iTunes shortly thereafter. So, yeah, search us out on iTunes. Uh, rate us. You know, leave a comment, review you know, help us move up the rankings on iTunes. You know, we will love a five-star review, but be honest with us. Be honest with iTunes. Be honest with us on what you like about the show. Let us know on Facebook and Twitter as well. And also, you also you can listen to us at maineventstatus.com, our website. That's maineventstatus.com. Yeah, please, you know, comment on the shows too, on, on that too. So, you know, that's four ways you can, you know, talk to us and talk about the shows. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, that's for uh, episode number seven, discussing WCCW, episode number 65 from February, March, or February, from Friday, <laughs> March 18th, 1983. It's, yeah, World Class Championship Wrestling from the Network from episode 65 from 
Friday, March 18, 1983. And for Beverly Hills, I'm the Dirty Dog Darcy. I'll talk to you guys after the matches. Cut. <laughs> He's just a common man. He well, works hard for the man. He's just a common man. Working up for the man. He's a American dream. He's a American dream. <laughs> All right, buddy. Show, ladies and gentlemen. Good night.